Before we get into today's episode of One Shining Podcast, I want to shout out the Ringer Wise Guys on FanDuel TV. Shout out to uh, all four of those guys because they're going to be in person in Los Angeles at Spotify HQ this weekend for Wild Card Weekend. Um, John Jastrzemski is going to be in the building. We're going to hang out with him, uh, you know, heading into the weekend. Cousin Sal is going to have a great time as always. We got Joe House. House of Carbs in the building. Uh, and of course, Raheem, our guy Raheem, who we got to get on this show as we get closer to March Madness. He said his formulas are telling him about certain teams. And uh, I need to see these formulas because uh, th- there's a lot of formulas out there. But I, I think I trust Raheem's the most. Uh, but the Ringer Wise guys this Sunday, uh, I'm going to pop into the studio as well. So it'll be a lot of fun. Um, so go check it out right now on FanDuel TV or Spotify on the Ringer TV feed. Go do it now. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, it is a chaotic week in college basketball. Upsets everywhere. I know I said it before, it was upsets galore, but this is another level of upsets galore. This is insanity. This is chaos. This is madness. This is bedlam. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, Number one, Purdue loses. Number two, Houston. Number three, Kansas. Number five, Tennessee. Number nine, Oklahoma. Number 11, Marquette. Number 17, Colorado State. Number 21, Clemson. My God. I can barely catch my breath. And uh, we're going to talk about all this with Eamon Brennan. We're also going to talk about, uh, is Maui Invitational? Is it officially overrated? We're going to do some revisionist history here on the program. We're going to see what happens with that. And we're also going to talk about the state of the ACC. Um, Louisville finally won a road game, so shout out to them. Uh, bubble watch, a fun bubble watch with Eamon Brennan, and a whole lot more. Kyle, anything else before we get into today's episode? The Johnnies are rising to the top. I'm storming the court, and you can just deal with it, Matt Painter. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. It is Friday, January 12th, and I am with Eamon Brennan, and we are going to be talking about Chaos. That is right. There is chaos in college basketball, in case you missed it. Um, the top 25 is a miss, and the top five is a disaster. It was the first time in history four top five teams have lost to unranked opponents in a two-day span. Shout out to all the researchers out there for pulling that one. I saw it from CBS, Fox, everywhere. Nobody knows how to make sense of this, but that's why we brought Eamon Brennan on the show. Eamon, what do you make of this chaos in the top five? Uh, I think we're just... I mean, honestly, I think the simplest explanation is we're hitting conference play and people yeah. are playing true road games and they're really Shout hard out to win. To Houston. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, like Houston, um, I have, you know, maybe some minor concerns about Houston's offense. Like if we wouldn't just kind of get right into it, like Houston losing at Iowa State, um, Iowa State, very good defensive team. But you kind of look at Houston all all season. They hadn't played a ton of like top, top level opponents. Um, but 
all along, they've just been offensive rebounding at such a high rate that it kind of doesn't matter if they can shoot the ball. And then you get into a, a game and it, against a team in an environment where maybe you don't churn offensive rebounds at like a superhuman level and the volume of shots you're getting isn't quite as high. And if you just can't make open shots, um, all of a sudden you're not sort of maxing your numbers on the offensive end. So that, you know, that's one example of like, a really good team that is now playing in the Big 12. I think Houston will be fine in the Big 12. You know, they're obviously a good team, good program, have been for years. I don't think it's like a big adjustment conference-wise, but I think relative to what they were in the non-conference and who, who they played against, now going on the road in the Big 12 on a nightly basis or or twice-weekly basis is going to be a big step up. And I think to some extent, maybe a lesser extent, um, all of these top teams are facing that. You know, Arizona, Purdue, all these teams have already lost Um you know, road games and conference play. And uh, it is a big adjustment. I think everybody goes through it maybe at different stages of the season. Everybody's kind of seems to be going through it at the exact same stage of the season right now. <laughs> yeah. Purdue loses Tuesday to Nebraska, 88 to 72. Houston loses Tuesday at Hilton. Uh, the Hilton magic comes in. They lose to Iowa state 57 to 53, a perfect example of the whiplash in college basketball. If you watch Houston put 88 points or 89 points on West Virginia, you're saying to yourself, man, this, these teams are world beaters. I talked about them in the last show. I'm like, could this be the year that Houston finally gets to the final four and actually gets the job done? Uh, Kim Pom loves them. They're still number one on Kim Pom, but you also deal with the fact that LJ Cryer, Jamal shed, you can't forecast these guys just getting cold on the road in their first true road game and college basketball strikes again. So that's, that happens. Then we get to Wednesday and Kansas goes to UCF. This is UCF's first home game in the Big 12. You expect the big dog who runs the Big 12 to come in, handle business. We're in the dog park. It's going to be a walk in the park. Not so fast. Johnny Dawkins gets a signature win, 65-60. Uh, UConn plays Xavier. It's a close game. Sean Miller was very fired up for this game going in. Uh, luckily for UConn, they they survived the top five curse uh, of the past two days. and They win uh, 80-75 in a close one. Then Tennessee plays Mississippi State, and uh, Chris Jenks' team in his second season gets a big win, 77-72. So that is the full rundown of the top five up upsets. And I do want to talk about Houston first um, because they were the last undefeated team. Um, they are in a situation where they should be, you know, contending for the Big Ten. Right now, Baylor is in first place in the or the Big 12. Uh, Baylor is in first place in the Big 12. But um, does this change your opinion of Houston at any level, you know, going on the road and watching them play? Because for me, it really doesn't. And I still think that they might, uh, you know, have an argument to be the number one team in the country, despite all the chaos in the top five. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't I don't think it changes my opinion of them really at all. I think there's, you know, if they lose a couple of games in the next couple of weeks here, there's going to be a lot of like, um, Gonzaga level. Comments. Yeah. yeah. A lot of, a lot of Gonzaga level. See, we, we told you if they played in the big 10, they'd be a 500 team or whatever, um, type of stuff. I mean, like the numbers are so clear with Houston over the last five, six seasons, they've been an elite program. You know, they went to the final four. Um, I think this year's team actually though, I think that the, the interesting thing about this year's team is they are still sort of the machine that Kelvin Sampson has every year, right? They play incredible, super aggressive defense. They're extremely physical and they rebound everything on the offensive end and generate a ton of shots over and over again. Um, but I don't think they have the talent level that they've had in the past couple seasons. You know, you look mm -hmm. at their team last year with Marcus Sasser. And Walker. Like, and, 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 you know, yeah, exactly. Jairus Walker. These are like NBA level players. I don't think they have that this season. I think they've got a bunch of really, really good college basketball players, experienced guards. LJ Cryer is probably the best offensive player on the team. I I don't think he's going to be like an all-American level, you know, performer this season. He's had a nice, nice season, but he's, you know. Um, so I think 
the the question for for me with Houston has always been this year, can they go above and beyond just what they always are, kind of under Sampson, where they're just like optimized to win basketball games, particularly against overmatched opponents, play you know teams who can't match up physically. But you know they went to Xavier earlier in the year and really struggled. Uh, albeit on the road and non-conference play, but against a Xavier team that, that wasn't great that night and was still pretty banged up to finish that game out because they just could not make shots. Um, mm-hmm. They ended up with 66 points and 71 trips. You know, you look at them against top-level competition, Dayton, Utah, you know, they haven't exactly blown the doors off offensively. Um, and those those teams are good, but they're not like top five, you know, you're going on the road even to play a team like Iowa State, which is really good defensively. So I think Houston, the questions there are just like, they are what they are every year, but do they have that sort of sprinkling of elite talent, particularly perimeter talent, where um, if things aren't going well or they're in a, a defensive dogfight, they can just make shots over the top and make something happen. I'm not sure that they're that team this year. Yeah, they don't have the Quentin Grimes that they had when they made the Final Four run, right. uh, unless LJ Cryer can turn into that guy, which we've seen flashes of it where he's been able to do that. Jamal Shedd is another option for them. But like you said, it's like we're we're in the A-minus talent instead of the A-plus NBA-level talent, and you're yeah. expecting like a collective group to get there. Kelvin Sampson's been frustrated. I mean, after the Utah game, he basically was like, we're going to get we're, we're going to learn a lesson very soon about, you know, who we are as a team as we get into, um, you know, what he coined as the dog park in the Big 12. So they're a fascinating conversation. The other biggest loser, despite uh, let's go through the other teams that lost in the top 25 as well. Oklahoma lost uh, to TCU on the road. That was a game where. Uh, TCU was favored at home by four and a half points. So Vegas knew something about this TCU team after watching them play against Kansas, uh, you know, out there at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, Oklahoma loses, Marquette loses, Colorado State loses, uh, and Clemson loses their third straight game. So there was a lot of losers that were out there in college basketball, but the biggest loser might be the Maui Invitational. Um, And if you really look at it and you go back to the conversations that were had around the Maui Invitational, this is the best preseason tournament ever. Look at the talent top to bottom. Um, And now if you look at it, we saw number one Purdue lose on the road to Nebraska. Uh, We saw Kansas lose, like I said, to UCF. We saw Tennessee lose. We see Marquette lose. Uh, Marquette is kind of falling uh, by the wayside. UCLA is last in the Pac-12 right now. Um, and their 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 team is a mess despite the talent. Um, do we overhype the Maui Invitational? Are we worried about um, our vantage points being a little bit skewed by how we talked about this tournament? And are these teams as good as advertised as a collective? Um, where we may be just a little bit ahead of schedule there with our uh, decision to make this the greatest tournament, greatest preseason tournament ever. Yeah, and you might be onto something there. I mean, I think honestly, I think you can you can maybe make that argument about Kansas as well. Um, we're kind of looking at Kansas now as as a very good team that is not like offensively maybe where we thought they were going to be. And and, and that's Marquette's plays. best win, right? That's Marquette's like when anyone can say anything about their resume, they say, hey, we beat the number one team in the country, Kansas. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, now you're looking at Kansas as maybe like, a you know, I mean, they're 19th at Kempom. Their offense is 46th. Um, mm-hmm. Their three point percentage is 31.7, which is 245th in the country. Like um, they are not a particularly well-rounded offensive team at this stage, even with Hunter Dickinson sort of anchoring the middle and still playing well. Um, and so that, you know, like the Kansas going, it's, you have to sort of separate out, like what is, what of this is, is just a team going on the road, getting beat. And, um, you know, like Purdue at Nebraska, ne- Nebraska shoots 61% from three scores, almost 90 points. It's like, okay. Um, you know, you, you hold your hands up in Purdue, uh, you know, Purdue's social media team made sure to make a note of that when they announced the, <laughs> the loss on, on Twitter. Right. Um, it's like, and you can kind of like 
you're like, okay, you tip your cap. That's like Purdue. I don't think anyone looks at Purdue and says, oh, maybe Purdue just isn't as good as we thought. Like, I still think it's the best team in the country. They just got caught on the road in, in league play. Whereas, you know, you look at Kansas going to UCF and losing, and that's maybe a little bit more of an indictment. Yes, it's a road game. Yes, you know, whatever. Johnny Dawkins has his guys fired up. But like, that's not necessarily... Um, oh, we just got beat. It's like, there are real flaws here that you, that you need to sort of examine. And we're kind of getting there with Marquette too, where it's mm-hmm. like Marquette keeps losing games and, and they might be close games. Um, you, know, they, you know, they lost by a bucket at Seton Hall, seven points at Butler in, in a close game. But this team is not playing anywhere near the level of offense they were last year. Um, they are like just really struggling Um from the field and they're not stretching defenses in the same way they were in Tyler. Holick's not playing as well as he was. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a, a sort of teasing out whether these teams are just not as good as we thought, or just, you know, got caught on the road. I think Marquette and Kansas are kind of in that, like some stuff to figure out and maybe they'll figure it out in the next month or two. But, but right now it's looking a little dicey. Yeah. Purdue has a type, uh, you know, like you said, Nebraska at 14 to 23. And like they pointed out on social media. So that was a big one. Northwestern kind of did the exact same thing. They shot 50 percent, 10 of 20 from deep against Purdue. Um, so they have a type. Purdue has a type. They have a hostile road environment and a team that gets really hot from three. Um, they have the 77th uh, three point shooting defense in the country. They hold teams at 30. 30- Point seven percent. So um, Purdue is not the worst team at guarding the three point line, but obviously there is some room for improvement there. But that's also college basketball on the road. Um, so Purdue kind of gets a pass, and it does feel like with these four out of the top five losing, the you know the Neanderthal take is of course UConn and now is number one in the country. But I think most people suspect that Purdue will stay as the number one team in the country. Do you think that's the case? Do you think the AP voters get together and they say um, of out of all this chaos? There's one team who has a national player of the year on it, and we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and we're going to put Purdue back at number one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably what I would do. I think I expressed my my doubts about Houston, but you could also make a case like if you thought Houston was the number one team in the country coming in, um, that you know losing a tight game at Iowa State isn't reason to knock them off. Maybe even more so than losing losing a you know a 16 point deficit at at Nebraska. But but yeah, I mean, I I think. The the thing about college basketball that's tricky, particularly this time of year, is um, forest for the trees stuff. And mm-hmm. you get into conference play and these teams start taking losses. Um, and it can be difficult to figure out, is this team just not that good? Or is this team um, just having a couple bad breaks in league play? And Connecticut last year is a great example, right? Like dominate the non-conference. Oh my goodness, this is a national championship level team. Then they get into January and lose basically every game they play. Um, a couple of those bad losses, a couple of them, uh, most of them close sort of single-digit deficits on the road in the Big East. And then everyone goes off Connecticut. All the while, their sort of underlying per-possession numbers still look really good, and Ken Palm's formula still really likes them, and the net kind of likes them. And, and so you eventually get back to, like, they figure it out, they get to the NCAA tournament, and they're as dominant as they looked in November. And I think that's the difficult thing about this time of year is is not getting too bogged down by any one result. And for me, Purdue, um, I think in October was the team that I thought like they have the best player in the country, right? Or the most productive player in the country. Um, Their freshman guards are going to be a year older and and sort of more physically robust and able to hang in uh, in the rigors of a Big Ten season late in the year, which they maybe didn't do last year. They've got more options on the wing and, and at the four spot. Lance Jones is a is a nice addition and brings a little athletic pop. And I 
you know, that, that to me was the best team in the country, like in August, in October, um, in November and December. And I still think they're the best team in the country, you know, whether they take a couple losses, um, whether Indiana catches them in Bloomington next Tuesday, which I don't think is going to happen, but you never know. It's Mm -hmm. like, I don't think you can write them off in a similar way as like, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't have wanted to write off Connecticut last year, um, coming into the NCAA tournament because they lost a few games in January. It's like, how good are these teams actually and, and assessing them? And it can be challenging this time of year because wins and losses matter, but um, the underlying performance is, is much more important, I think. Yeah, and injuries come into play too with UConn. I mean, what does a fully healthy UConn with Klingon really look like? I think they look like one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country. So that's yeah. another you know part of this. It's also funny to me in conference season where if a team goes on the road and loses in the Big 12, it's like, man, what a gauntlet, right? Well, I mean, what a tough league. But if a team like Clemson goes on the road and plays Virginia Tech, a very good basketball team, a top 60 net team, a team that has Sean Padula have a career high 32 points and seven assists and show the world why he's one of the best point guards in the country that doesn't get talked about enough. Um, people say Clemson, are they back on the bubble? You know what I mean? Like right. there's the perception of the league. And even though the ACC is probably the third best conference right now behind the Big 12 and the Big East. Um, there still is a perception problem and the way that certain teams and certain conferences can kind of quote unquote, get away with it. Um, it is a different conversation. And I think that's the funniest part and why people kind of pull their hair out when they watch some of these ACC teams go from, uh, we're in the conversation. Now we're a four seed. Mike DeCourcy says we're a five seed, whatever it is. (laughs) And then, you know, all of a sudden the next week they're on bubble watch and then, they're they're standing outside in the rain, looking up at the sky, saying, "What happened to 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 basketball? What happened to my basketball team?" Uh, Clemson's a perfect example of that. Uh, I want to talk about the ACC and kind of the state of the ACC right now. As much as we've talked about who's the next one, is it Virginia and Tony Bennett? Is it Miami and Jim Laranega? Uh, when the dust is settled this season, it's really a two-team league, right? I mean, North Carolina is solely uh, a top of the league, and then you have Duke, and then there's pretty much everyone else. Duke is plus 140 to win the league. Carolina is minus right now, minus 105 to win the ACC. And then it's nobody close. Next next guy up is Wake Forest. So it's a two-race league, but also a, a league that is trying to make you know a, a case to have six or seven teams in the in the NCAA tournament. But when Miami loses to Louisville for the first time in 738 days, folks, uh, Louisville won a road game. Uh, it it, it kind of just depletes the entire league. So when you look at the ACC, do you think it's just Carolina and Duke and everybody else? Or do you give credence to Wake Forest and Miami and, you know, Virginia Tech and some of these other teams in the league? Yeah, I mean, I think Virginia Tech's a really good example of a team that was okay in the non-conference and has a chance to really get better in conference play. And I think, um, you know, the, the importance of non-conference is massive for the NCAA tournament. And I understand why, like we're at least a decade into the NCAA basically being like, we're not going to do the last 12 games thing on team sheets anymore. The whole season matters, schedule well, we're going to, you know, reward teams that schedule well, and we're going to punish teams that don't. Um, I get all that and why it's it's probably better for the state of the sport and and I'm in favor of it. But you do have teams that you kind of have to like, like Rutgers is another one. I think Rutgers is going to be a really tough team in the Big Ten this year, right? Yeah. And Indiana just lost there. Um, it's you like Virginia Tech is a great example. Beat Alabama uh, in the non-conference. Scheduled pretty, or pardon me, beat Iowa State, not not Alabama. Beat Boise State, which I think is another team that's going to look good as they get yeah. sort of through the Mountain West. Um, you know, took, didn't take a really bad loss. South Carolina has proved to be a pretty good team. And so you could sort of look at Virginia Tech coming in and they don't bring a whole lot to the conference in terms of like, 
oh, they had a great non-conference season and they're ranked like top 25 in Ken Palm or whatever. But that is going to be a difficult team to beat. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of like Virginia at JPJ, especially like Virginia on the road seems to be all bets are off right now. Um, <laughs> but Virginia at JPJ has looked like a really good team and has beaten some good teams already. And so going on the road to play Virginia at bare minimum um, is going to be difficult. NC State going to be difficult. Uh, Wake Forest going to be difficult. Um, like there's a there's a solid middle group of teams here that I think have a chance to improve as a season. I mean, even Florida State. Florida State just beat Virginia Tech. And I think Florida State's got some length and some talent. Um, but they had an awful non-conference. They lost to Lipscomb. And so their numbers are going to bring other people down. So it's it's hard to tease this stuff out. But I think um, the ACC is probably a little underrated right now. I think Miami losing to Louisville is a, is a, is a big blow. But They're you know, a conundrum. For, yeah, I mean, Miami yeah. makes no sense. Like every game is like, you know, you see a different team show up every single time. And it's because they're, so, they, they're so shallow. Like they have no depth on that team. And it's really right. dependent on their main guys. Well, and and they're extremely offensive oriented and they don't guard. And last year that was fine, I think, because they were always good enough to get a bucket and beat you 86 to 82 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not there this year in the same way offensively. And, and, you know, losing Isaiah Wong is a big deal. And that's taken a little of their balance and ball handling away. So they're not maybe quite to the level they were last year offensively, but they're just as bad as they were on D, at least for this part of the regular season where they kind of got by last year. Um, so that's part of it too. So yeah, Miami is an, a really interesting one because, you know, they started the season ranked really highly. Um, there was some disagreement with some of the, the, the metrics guys like Ken Pum. <laughs> um, but you know, I think elsewhere too, like Bart Korvik all kind of saw Miami for what they were during the regular season last year. And I kind of verged away from it as someone who usually is like, Oh, you know, that's what the numbers say. I, I, I get it. I kind of went away from that because I saw Miami a lot in the tournament last year. And I kept saying like, these guys just, they know they don't have to guard that hard. Like their numbers are not going to look, you know, they're not going to beat teams by 20 because they're kind of just like sloughing off on the defensive end sometimes. Um, but they can which always is why score. The, which is why the analytics guys don't like them because the whole point is like when you play a team that's 120, you beat them by a certain amount because right. you know, that is the separation. And Miami's like, well, we'll beat them by four. Right, right. <laughs> I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll take a few possessions off in the last couple of minutes and then Isaiah will hit a step back 20 footer and we'll right. win the game. Like, it'll be yeah. fun. Yeah. And that's what they were in the tournament. I mean, they, you know, they beat some teams by, by decent margins in the tournament. And they turned things up a little bit. But most of the regular season last year, they were ranked in like the 40s and 30s. And you look at their talent and you look back in sort of in retrospect of the NCAA tournament, it's like, this team is really good. Um, mm. So they're they're a weird one. And they came into the season being a, a bit of a weird one. I think they're they're there right now. But yeah, the, the ACC has, um, you're right. It's, a, it's two teams that are guarantees. But there are a lot of teams that I think have a chance to get better. And you're going to kind of have to look hard to, to notice that they're getting better because the numbers from the non-conference are not necessarily going to be there. And Virginia Tech is maybe a prime example of a team that, you know, come um, mid-February or something and be like, okay, this is a tournament team. But but they have a ways to go right now. Yeah, and uh, it is a conversation just throughout the league that it does feel like the bottom is discussed more than the middle group, which is uh, has the potential to rise up at times. Like we saw at Virginia Tech, like we've seen with NC State. And, you know, speaking of NC State, that atmosphere – um, you know, at the PNC arena was incredible, even though, you know, the game was ugly in the first half. North Carolina comes there. They're 3-0. NC State's 3-0. First time since 1974 that you get both these teams. They're 20 miles apart. There's obviously not a, not a lot, lot of love lost between these two programs. I mean, State fans, uh, Harrison Ingram jumped for a ball into the crowd, hits one of their biggest boosters. 
Um, <laughs> and and the fans are booing Harrison Ingram as if he dove on their biggest booster on purpose. You know what I mean? That's just what this rivalry is. Um, but I saw one thing in that moment. It was the booster coming back to Harrison Ingram and saying, you keep playing hard. And uh, when you get the respect from a rival at the way that you're playing, and Harrison Ingram has 19 rebounds in this game, most ever by a North Carolina player against NC State, broke Baycott and Billy Cunningham's record of 18. Baycott had it last year. But when you watch Harrison Ingram and this Carolina team and the effort, it is a very gritty and different version of Carolina basketball. And it's almost, uh, you know, whiplash from what you saw a season ago where it felt like um, this kind of despondent attitude to what was happening in the game. Instead of reacting, it was kind of like, oh, the game's over. We're done. And when you have a guy like Harrison Ingram that's getting respect of NC State fans because of his hustle, that is going to break your brain because that means that it's actually uh, another level and another tier. And I do think that this North Carolina team is different. I don't know what the ceiling is. I know the floor is very high. I think they are the best team in the ACC right now. But I think it goes through Harrison Ingram. And it's not even scoring. R.J. Davis is a guy who should be top five national player of the year conversation, should be ACC player of the year as it currently stands. We're only four games into the season. But Harrison Ingram is like this whole separate entity that um, I think kind of changes the trajectory of Carolina basketball this year in a way that maybe even Carolina fans don't understand. It's like it's like a Tennessee type of approach or something, or like this kind of gritty. Uh, I do the dirty work. Uh, you know all these different terms uh, that you can point out, but he's kind of the one that really highlights it. And when you have a game where Baycott has a weird flagrant foul, he gets dominated by DJ Burns. Shout out to Beast Boy Burns. Um, <laughs> it was a Harrison Ingram game. And I feel like still people are catching up to why this Carolina team is different because all they can, all they really know is, oh, it's R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott. But I do think Harrison Ingram is the difference on this team. Yeah, well, we've talked about the R.J. Davis thing before about giving him a real, actual, like, North Carolina-style point guard to play alongside. And, and Elliot Cadeau has sort of opened him up to be the kind of combo attacking scoring guard that he actually is. Yeah. Um, and and that's been that's been great for his game, and I think really good for for Carolina and sort of Carolina, um, you know, all the secondary break stuff and playing like they want to play. I mean, it's still a team that gets up and down, but it's a team that's really really good defensively, and I think you see that against NC State, like holding holding that team to fifty four points and in, in seventy two trips. It's not like it was a super slow game. It's that Carolina is really guarding, um, and right. you see this you see this sometimes with with teams that you know like Alabama has a reputation especially obviously in the last few years for being this like three point chucking team that just runs up and down and tries to outshoot you on the offensive end. Their best teams have always been when they're really good defensively and maybe just kind of okay offensively, but they grind it out on the defensive end. They just play so fast that it's kind of hard to notice because they're, they're holding teams to 72 points and, and 80 possessions or whatever. I guess that's kind of where Carolina is this year. I mean, you, you mentioned Harrison Ingram, like what about, val- he's just a super valuable player um, with his size, his shooting, uh, and what he can do defensively. Um, and his passing out of the post. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of has changed the way that they run offense where you don't have to give the ball to Baycott on the block and say, you get double teamed and find guys because that's not his natural instinct anyway. And you yeah. let Ingram do that. And then you let Baycott, you know, get his buckets on the offensive boards. And when you can win games like Carolina is without Baycott playing well and hold teams to under 60 points like they have the past three road games in the ACC, that's a totally different team because they haven't played well offensively, but they've been able to win games. And also, 
if you watch Carolina, I mean, teams just go off from the three-point land against this team traditionally. And for whatever reason this year, it's kind of the pendulum has swung back the other way. Now we'll see how long that lasts. I'm sure, you know, they play Syracuse on Saturday. Louisville may come in and just make everything they look at. I mean, there will be, uh, you know, there, there will be another shoe to drop. And I think that's what fans expect at some level. But it is interesting that Carolina is, you know, a team right now that has some toughness and uh, some tenacity to them. And then there's Duke who looks like a totally different team. They they feel like they've found an identity. Um, and if you look at all the metrics, they're seven in Kim Palm. Um, you know, they, everybody loves their offense, right? They got a top 10 offense. And uh, I'm still, you know, reticent to see uh, what what the defense looks like when they go against some tougher competition. But, um, you know, if Filipowski can show some rim protection, Duke's a really tough out. And right now, like, you know, Carolina and Duke have top 20 uh, offenses and defenses on Kim Palm, and they're really right next to each other, and they're kind of flip flopped. You know, Duke's offense is great, Carolina's defense is great. You know, Duke's got the seventh best offense, Carolina's got the seventh best best defense. So, like, it's going to be a great matchup when they end up facing each other. And uh, it is interesting because uh, as much as we try to get away and tell the next story, it seemingly always comes back to Carolina and Duke in the ACC. So, uh, you know, that's a conversation we'll continue to have. Grab your game day gear because college basketball is buzzing and FanDuel wants you to join in on all the fun. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Uh, if you go to FanDuel right now, you can look at all the conference winners and there's a lot of odds out there that are favorable. I love plus money. I love when you can get plus money. If you look at the ACC right now, Carolina is minus money at minus 105, so don't take that bet. But you could take the Duke Blue Devils. Um, never thought I'd say that, but you could get them at plus money at plus 140 right now. Uh, also, if you look at the SEC, another power conference in college basketball, Auburn is the favorite at plus 185. If you still believe in Kentucky, you can get them right now with some value at plus 430. That is all possible on the FanDuel Sportsbook. So go do it now. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet. Live, same-game parlays, easily find bets in the Explore tab, dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com OSP and make this college hoop season one you won't forget. Must be 21 or older and president in select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Let's do some bubble watch even because I, I know you got this out there. Um, what is it like trying to cover the bubble? I, I get triggered when I say the word <laughs> bubble um, and, it, and, it, and it really drives me insane. But to do bubble watches to go aggregate all these other, you know, bracketologists and, and kind of dive into the pool of bracketology. How do you, you, what, what part of that brain are you using? And, uh, you know, how much do we, how much grace do we need to give you? Because it is a very, very tough pool to swim in with all these guys. Yeah. So I would say this, I mean, I think when I first started doing bubble watch, it was very much like, okay, we're doing this to figure out what teams are in the tournament right now, which teams are out of the <laughs> right. tournament right now. And it's like, um, you know, I've been doing it for a lot of years and and at ESPN. Decade kind plus. Of, yeah. But now I feel like the bubble has changed a lot since you were doing it back in the day. You know what for I mean? Sure. Now, yeah, now I mean, it's I, way more divisive. People, Well, yeah. And people used to get, you know, I did it for years and years when the, the RPI was the thing. And yeah. I used to sit there and be like, oh, how am I still? How are we still using this awful metric? Because you are looking at like Ken Palm the entire time and a team is ranked 10th and they're like 64th in the RPI or whatever, because um, it's just a totally different and, and very crude way to to measure teams. I mean, I think the thing with Bubble Watch for for me and my version of it 
um, you know, I, I did the first one on, on my newsletter um, earlier this week. And it's like, it has long since become, because the, the column got as popular as it did, it's long since become kind of just a, a skeletal structure just to talk about, particularly this early, just to talk about basically every well, relevant team in college basketball, right? Like it gives mm-hmm. you an opportunity to kind of go one through 80 or whatever, plus a bunch of the mid-majors that are out there and kind of just have like a weekly um, check-in. And um, it doesn't necessarily even have to be about kind of where they are relative to um, how likely they're, any given team is going to get into the NCAA tournament. So that's kind of what it's become at this stage. And then you get into, you know, mid, late February, and it actually, it shrinks because teams are getting, you know, sort of locked and you're done kind of talking about them. And it's pretty obvious who is going to, who's obviously going to go to the tournament. And then you're just kind of down to the group of teams of like 20 teams for 12 spots or whatever. And then, and then Mm -hmm. it actually does become kind of like similar to bracketology where you're talking about, um, you know, outcomes in various situations and, and, um, and tangents and stuff. But right now it's like, it's like basically just a column about college basketball and checking in on all these teams and figuring out what they're doing well, what they're not doing well. Um, you know, what funny thing Mick Cronin said, you know, two weeks ago or, or two days ago. Uh, it's more along those lines right now. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been a it. I understand the um, you know, I had I had a comment earlier uh, this week. If someone was like, you know, Indiana's not on the bubble, but it's only January 9th. So why are we doing this? And it's like. Well, mostly we're just well, writing a college basketball column. Well, but that's, I understand that's what I want to point like, out. The connotations, right? Like right. you had something that was fun and a way you you this was a way to get into the conversation about the teams that are good in college basketball and who could reach their ceiling, who could be in the tournament. Like a right. like it was a fun entry point into the larger landscape of college basketball. That's the bubble connotation that I want to exist in. But then there's yes. the bubble boys. And the bubble boys came <laughs> in and they were just throwing out everything and saying, This is facts. Uh, this is who the first four out is. Who this is the next four out. This is this is the the you know this is the the prevailing narrative across the board, right? And then everyone kind of picks and chooses who they want to bump up here and there. But regardless, it kind of feels like a, a an organism that grows, and it's kind of like that is what the idea is of who is actually on the bubble. And the committee never follows what is put out by this, and it does feel like. Um, I want to get back to your version of the bubble is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. And I want to be able to talk about the teams that are right there on the precipice that could take that next step, that have opportunities. Perfect example in my mind, Gonzaga, right? What What is Gonzaga's signature win right now? Um, they don't have it because a lot of these teams that they played as, you know, the Maui Invitational, perfect example. They didn't beat the good teams in the Maui Invitational. They lose to San Diego State. That was a good opportunity right there at the end of the year. They lose. Jaden Ledee plays great. And now their next game that they can really make sure that people know, hey, we're a tournament team, is playing Kentucky on February 10th. And mm-hmm. like they have to circle that game and say, we have to win this game for the national perception to make sure that it's known that we're a six seed or a five seed or whatever it is. But if they lose to Kentucky, now you're in the bubble boys playground and and now <laughs> you're the next four out. And you know what I mean? Like you, you kind of lose control of your season and control of the national narrative of your team. Even though I think Gonzaga is a tournament team talent wise, yeah. um, even though they don't have that signature win. So like, that's the other part of this where I think like some good teams get written off too soon because like they can never come back from this national narrative that is around them. Even Miami jokingly, people are like, well, if you lose to Louisville, you're out of the tournament. No, <laughs> no, it, no. Can't, it, can't, it can't be that. It can't be that, uh, you know, game one game dependent. 
Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it's funny. It's, it's that stuff gets started earlier and earlier. I mean, I think for teams in it, there's a big difference in this conversation for teams in major conferences and teams that are in mid-major conferences or low-major conferences, right? Like for Gonzaga, and Gonzaga knows this, Mark Few knows this, why he schedules the way they usually schedule. Um, it's why they play a, you know, a series with Connecticut and why they want to be in the Maui and, and why they have San Diego State doing a home and home with them is because they know they have to get a handful of quality opponents on their schedule. And in the past few years, they've beaten all of them. And then maybe they'll lose one game in, in the WCC or, you know, no, you know, none. And it, they're, the, the conversation about them is whether or not they're a one seed or a two seed. Um, but that team isn't this Gonzaga team this year. Uh, this, this year's Gonzaga team is, is fine. And maybe Anton Watson is their best player, or maybe it's Ryan Nemhard. but e- either way, you're not talking about Jalen Suggs and Chet Holmgren. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the talent level is different. And so they lost the sort of the, the most important games on their schedule, the loss to Purdue in the Maui Invitational put them on the side of the bracket with Syracuse and UCLA. So they won their, their other two games in Maui, but they didn't get a whole lot of, um, sort of resume help from them. Um, and so, yeah, they're in a position now where they have the Kentucky game. They kind of, I don't know if they have to win that game. I mean, if, if, if Gonzaga wins out in the West coast conference from here loses at Kentucky, I think they'll probably pretty safely get in the NCAA tournament, but I don't know that the team is quite that good to pull something like that off. And so the margins for them are much different from a team like Miami, um, even in the ACC or obviously, you know, a, a team like Indiana where, I don't know if Indiana is good enough to do this, but if Indiana won, you know, 12 games in the Big Ten this year, they probably would, you know, you you could you have time to like put a resume together. We've seen Providence do this year after year under Ed Cooley, where they'll like they'll lose to a couple teams ranked 300th in in the net, and then they'll win 11 or 12 games in the Big East, and you know they're easily a tournament team in like an eight seed or something. So um, teams in conferences like that have a lot more time to figure it out. And it's fun, like from a bubble watch perspective and, and a column writing perspective, it's fun to kind of track those teams over time and, you know, in jokes develop about them. And you kind of get to go on the journey with the team and with all these different teams. Um, but yeah, teams like Gonzaga uh, and particularly mid-majors like an Indiana State this year, mm-hmm. um, every single game matters so much for them. They can only afford a couple of losses and it was the same like with Florida, you know, Florida Atlantic last year. Um, it didn't matter because they beat everybody, but a team like that loses a couple more games in their league and maybe they don't get to the tournament. And it's, and it's a shame, you know, unless they win their conference tournament, obviously, but it, it's a shame for those teams that like Indiana state, it kind of has to win not every game it plays, but almost every game it plays. If it wants to get an at large bid and not have to win its conference tournament. Yeah. Speaking of the net, uh, there's an example that I have to point out, and it is the Alabama example. They're one in five in Q1 games, but they're fifth in the net. And I uh, I keep looking at the metrics. I keep, uh, you know, going back to the fact that Nate Oates was a math teacher. Um, They are a smart team like they'll schedule a team that's 220th. Um, you know what I mean? In the metrics and then they'll beat them by 40 points, which is what the metrics love. That means you, you beat a pretty, you know, not the worst team. It's it's all about like the quality of wins and the quality of losses, right? That's what I have gathered about the net. That's the real number. You don't, we don't know the exact sauce. We know, you know, you know, in theory, what's included in the formula, but from my vantage point, it's really the quality of the win and the quality of loss uh, based on what their number is in the net. And Alabama, despite being one in five, like I said, in Q1 games, which usually would put you in the bubble boy pool, right? They would say, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, you look at your Q1 record. We saw it last year. That's all they, that, that was the big conversation. Look at their Q1 record, uh, you know, even though it fluctuates throughout the season as teams fall from certain points, but we have to use it as it is uh, the end all be all. Um, 
how do we handicap Alabama if they have this Q1 record and they're fifth in the net? Like, are, are we talking they're going to be a top four seed? Or are we talking they're on the bubble? You know, I, I feel like they're the biggest conundrum in all of basketball right now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Alabama is very weird. I, I, I wrote this in Bubble Watch this week. This has to be the highest ranked team with like a lot of work to do to get into the NCAA tournament, like the highest net number next to a team where you're like, these guys aren't definitely in the tournament yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because their metrics are really weird. Like the predictive metrics, uh, Ken Palm and BPI love them. And that's it sort of aligns with the net. Um, you know, the, their net number is five right now, which is is crazy for a team that's 10 and five. And like you mentioned, one and five against, against quadrant one. Um, but you look at their results metrics, which are like strength of record, I think is probably the best one there. And they're 47th. And that's kind of what I think, you know, you have to lean a little bit closer towards. Like, I don't have a huge problem with the committee being like, look, their underlying numbers are are really good. So we should consider them maybe a little bit differently than a team with that normal strength of record or that normal um, list of wins and losses. Like, I don't have a massive problem with that. If this is still a thing by the end of the season where their net is so much different than than what their record is, then it's going to be weird. But like right now, you look at the ba- the the bracket matrix, they're a seven seed. And I think that's kind of probably fair. And I think if they lose a few more games and they just have this this massive um, number of of losses, quality losses or otherwise, they start picking up some bad losses maybe here and there in the SEC, um, then the conversation will be different. But I don't think, I, I think if if I was a committee member and I think the committee looking at this team right now, if, they, if you were to see the bracket right now, they'd probably be in the field, but I don't think they'd be anywhere close to like a top four seed or like, you know, seeded according to their net or anything. I think they'd be pretty low. Um, given that number, just because they haven't really, you know, they they beat Indiana State badly, uh, and they beat <laughs> Oregon, and that's kind of it. And so you you yeah. you know the the I don't think the committee will sit there and look at that. And if you just put your hand over the one number that says net, you're not looking at a team with like a a you know a top three or four seed kind of resume here. Yeah, flopping is gaming the game, right? And we see it all across basketball now. And I do think that, you know, fudging the numbers so the net loves you is a new gaming the game. And it's outside of the game of basketball. And I do think Alabama and their schedule makers and Nate Oates uh, has figured it out. And they know what they need to do in some of these games. I mean, there are people who sell services for this stuff, like consultancies and stuff. Like, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure Nate Oates, I saw one the other day, um, that Nate Oates was like a, you know, he had done a blurb for or whatever. Um, and it's like, yeah, how do, how do we sort of crunch the numbers, schedule well? And it's not a perfect science because sometimes teams are just worse than you think or better right. than you think it's they're going to be. It's all forecasting the future and then trying to, to get yeah. the best matchups. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's right. can you tell us for sure that this team is going to be in the top 200 in the net so that when we play, um, you know, Moorhead State, they're actually really good. And that's a pretty decent win, uh, even though we beat them by 35 or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, and so, yeah, that that's, you know, this stuff helps and it's every margin you can get. And I think Alabama is probably out on the forefront of it a little bit more than some other teams. We've seen it in a long time, though. And I mean, the RPI was notorious for this. And I think Jamie Dixon used to be one of the biggest offenders where you look at those non-conference schedules when he was at Pitt. And granted, this was in the heyday of the Big East when it was like sending 10 teams to the tournament or whatever. So he didn't need to schedule super well. But you look at those non-conference schedules and be like, Jamie, you're just gaming this. Like you're, <laughs> you figured out the formula, so your schedule looks good, but you haven't actually played anybody. Um, and and Alabama, you know, to their credit, play good opponents in the non-conference, and I think they realize that helps them. Um, whether they needed to win a little, a couple more of those games to have this sort of net number is a is a different question altogether. 
Yeah, I have to give them their respect. I mean, they were the number one team in the country last year, and uh, that was for a reason. And they went to triple overtime with Carolina when they were the number one team in the country. And it felt like they uh, had the Space Jam moment where they just took their talents for the rest of the year and said, we're going to be the top team in college basketball. So, yeah, nothing but respect for Nate Oates. And, uh, you know, that just is what it is when it comes to his net manipulation. And uh, maybe some of these other teams pick up on it. Um, All right, we're done with bubble watch. Let's talk about a team that's not on the bubble, but a team that needs a conversation. Michigan wins the national championship. Their first sole national championship in football, not uh, not the shared championships, not the championships that they claim their first official sole national championship. So they are a football school. Lock it in. And then on the flip side, you have pure chaos. Uh, the college basketball team is uh, a walking headline. The newest headline is Doug McDaniel self-reported his own suspension. Um, and basically said that he will not be playing uh, for the next six road games, but he will play will be playing in home games. This is coming on the heels of Jawan Howard stepping down for one game to let Phil Martelli, his assistant coach at the Palestra, um, in a Philadelphia homecoming. This team is confusing, confounding, whatever word you want to call it, Eamon. Um, what were your thoughts when you saw Doug McDaniel uh, put this out to the world. And I, I've seen a lot of players like Geo Baker, former Rutgers player, talking about uh, just the media training of this moment. And uh, where is the Michigan PR team? Um, where is anybody to help solve the situation? And, and what is going on uh, in Ann Arbor right now on the basketball side? That's a very good question. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. I mean, I've never heard of someone being suspended just for road games. Um, it sounds like from the statement Juwan Howard put out that it's related to academics. And so maybe you can put you know, you could sort of fill in the blanks a little bit and say, like, um, you know, McDaniel hasn't been keeping up on his studies when they go on road games and he comes back and the the academic advisors with Michigan basketball are like, dude, what what have you been doing? And he's like, nothing. You know, I, I didn't do any homework. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it's a really weird thing, particularly for six games, kind of a long time. Like it's a long stretch of the season, right? When yes. You, when it's only road games um, for that to be sort of lingering over the program. And yeah, it's it's a it's a weird thing. You know, you had the thing with Juwan Howard early in the year when, you know, uh, a war of words with the trainer or whatever that he was potentially going to get suspended for. And then the Martelli thing, which I actually kind of thought is kind of nice because he, you know, Phil Martelli started the year coaching Michigan in, in Howard's uh, medically induced absence. And so, you know, they go to the palestra. The palestra to Philadelphia people is like Mecca. And yeah. it's an extremely important building to anyone who has any relationship with Philadelphia basketball. Obviously, Phil Martelli has a very deep emotional relationship with Philadelphia basketball. And so I kind of understand being like, hey, man, you want to take this one? Like, th that's kind of cool. Um, but it's all unprecedented. But it's also weird, though. <laughs> yeah, you know right. what I mean? Like, it's a it's a nice thought, but it's also like, what what are we doing here? Like, this, it's kind of strange, too. And the whole thing is strange because, again, it's like, maybe you can find a rationalization for uh, suspending a guy for a number of games for academics, whatever that's obvious. Like basketball programs have been doing that since time immemorial, but um, only road games is weird. Letting your assistant coach at the palestra is kind of weird. And the whole program is in this weird little place now. And part of it's because they're not good um, this season. You know, they're six and nine now. Um, mm -hmm. If they were nine and six or 11 and whatever, 11 to five, 11, to four, like it, maybe the conversation would be slightly different, but it all this stuff would still be weird and it all would be accumulative to the point where you're like, what on earth is going on with Michigan? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a very strange situation. And, uh, you know, there's strange things happen in college basketball. That is the world that we live in. And uh, <laughs> you try to make sense of stories as best you can with the information that you have. You also obviously know uh, you and I, uh, when you reach out to, to the universities, to the SIDs, you're going to get a variation of the story that has been agreed upon behind the scenes, right? There's never going right. to be the full, you know, forthright conversation that is happening behind the scenes. I don't like to speculate on things because I have no idea, but it just from the outside looking in makes no sense. And uh, eventually did. maybe it does make sense, but right now it does not. I did like Doug McDaniels, the part of his statement where he was like, please don't DM me or ask me any questions. <laughs> like, dude, but no dude, I, have so, I have so many questions. <laughs> like yeah. the number of questions this, this uh, elicits is, you know, as many as, and as in recent history, I want to know so many things. I, uh, yeah. And, and who knows if we ever know these things, uh, but I do know one thing, Michigan basketball was in a great place. Uh, 20, you know, 18, you're in the final four. You have, you know, Duncan Robinson, your six man, uh, Isaiah livers is on the basketball team for the people that remember him. Um, they were a fun team and what, you know, John Beeline had was great. The momentum that Jawan Howard had at the start of his career, um, was talked about as the, the potentially the top in college basketball, so I just am very confused as to to where we are now. And uh, we kind of know how we got here. If you go back to the roadmap and see some of the speed yeah. bumps, you kind of know how we got here. Um, so it's not that confusing in a sense, but it, it is confusing that it's kind of just drawn out at this point and there's no seemingly resolution. One last thing on this. I do feel like Mike Woodson at Indiana, every time that Jawan Howard is brought up is like a, what's next for this program. Like Indiana is being shoehorned in these conversations. And I just want to just say it again. I said it on a show earlier in the year. Those are two very different scenarios. And Mike Woodson has done, in my opinion, a pretty good job at Indiana. I can understand some of the frustration boiling up right now. As you look at the tournament and things like that, you lose to Rutgers, like you mentioned, but Mike Woodson and what he's done for Indiana, connecting the Bob Knight generation back to the program. Like there, there are things that he's doing that should not be discussed in the same light. So I just feel like those need to be separate conversations. Um, yeah. and, and I just wanted to highlight that for Mike Woodson, because I find that a little disingenuous when people uh, tend to do that. Yeah, well, and Mike Woodson was also a coach for a long time. Like, mm -hmm. he has a long track record of coaching. Whether you think he's the greatest coach in the world or not, he was an NBA coach for a long time. Juwan Howard was not, right? Juwan Howard was much more in the mold of guys we've seen come back from the NBA with minimal track records like Patrick mm -hmm. Ewing. Um, Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen. Uh, there have been plenty. I mean, and some guys have done well. Like, Fred Hoiberg was a scout when he was hired at Iowa State, right? He was an NBA front office guy. He wasn't in coaching at all. And he did extremely well um, and is doing well now at Nebraska. So um, there are examples of it working and there are examples of it not. But but Woodson is, is a slightly different thing in that he's, yes, he was an NBA coach, but he was like a, a dyed-in-the-wool lifer NBA coach as opposed right. to like someone kind of floating around the NBA, maybe an assistant for a while, couldn't get a head coaching job. Like Woodson has a different track record. I mean, um, I think if you stand back from Michigan and and just sort of look at them from like 20,000 feet, you sort of look at the teams that were good under Jawan Howard and that are kind of gradually becoming less and less good. And you just wonder if maybe the further you get from John Beeline's tenure, maybe there's a little bit of, of culture loss and standards loss that's happening over time where, um, you know, John Beeline was there for a long time and the program was a certain level for a long time and Jamon Howard carried that on and he recruited well um, and he took Beeline's players particularly in his first couple seasons added Hunter Dickinson and so on and so forth 
Um, but you get to a point where that stuff t- starts to to wane a little bit or the the standards come down a little bit. Um, then you get into weird situations like where we are this year. And I don't know that that is applicable necessarily to Indiana because I don't think the culture is a really like a question at Indiana right now. It's like competence and tactical level. And like Indiana fans are really mad about substitutions. Like that's one of their biggest gripes right now. Um, yeah. And it's so roster, it's, it's, slightly, it's roster it's management like, in play in play style, right? I mean, that's right. really the frustration with Mike Woodson. It's like the way that he's actually playing with yeah. this team and the talent around them and, you know, who has the longest leash. And, you know, you have a, a problem now where like Trey Galloway is a great, you know, Indiana basketball player, but he's also got a ceiling on his game. Right. So then yes. you have these expectations for certain guys to play at a certain level that might not be at that level. And then some of the guys that are supposed to be at that level based on the recruiting rankings, they're not playing as the expected level. But then you're also saying, well, it's because they're not playing in the right situations, but it's more basketball conversations, which which can be argued out. It's not yeah. it's not culture conversations. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I think the one culture thing is maybe, you know, Xavier Johnson got ejected from the Rutgers game the other night. He's had some issues off the floor in the past. And Woodson was relatively I the think smirk. To, the smirk kind of rubbed uh, people the wrong way from what I gather. You know what yes. I mean? They're like, why is he smiling? Which is, you know, a very like blue blood nitpicky thing to do. But yeah. that's just how but I it think is. Xavier Johnson, I think Xavier Johnson has has he's had a long basketball career and people have seen him for a lot of he's a guy who um has a rush of blood to the head on the court. Mm-hmm. Not not all that infrequently. And so it's not like totally unusual. Uh, maybe it could be managed a little bit better from the top, but like it's not it's not the sort of stuff we're talking about with Michigan. And yeah, it's just the Indiana is like, uh, Indiana fans are, are mostly, I think mad that the team doesn't have anybody who can shoot. And, um, the guys who can shoot aren't getting the kind of open looks they were last year when, when everyone was, you know, when there were four defenders around Trey Jackson Davis and Trey Galloway could stand there for 10 seconds and line up his threes. Um, it's a very different sort of team. They don't have perimeter shooting and their offense is, is kind of predicated on, um, trying to slam the ball down low with Malik Renew, and there's been a, you know, sort of a limit on that. But again, this is all very sort of like, you know, let's get the basketball team better, not like what is the direction of our program type stuff. Yeah, Renew's the best player on the team, in my opinion, and yeah. Liam McNeely is coming next year, and Liam McNeely is the savior. He is the shooter that's coming from Montverde. So uh, Indiana fans have something to look forward to, and that's Mike Woodson recruiting. So don't forget that as well. Um, so I just like to separate those two conversations as best I can. Uh, the Wooden Award Top 25 uh, just came out, the midseason Wooden Award Top 25. Does it feel inevitable? Like, has everyone already decided that it's Zach Eady? Um, I, I don't even, I'm worried that I have a vote for this. And I'm worried that if I don't vote for Zach Eady, I'm going to get aggregated as the one person that kept him from being unanimous as the player of the year. And then people try to revoke my vote. But um, uh, do you think that, that it's unanimous? Like, there's going to be no one that deviates from the plan that he is the national player of the year? I mean, it's hard for me to make an argument for anybody else right now. I mean, he's been he's he's been better than he was last year when he won the national title. I mean, I think coming into the season, I thought there's a decent chance he wouldn't win it because if he was just what he was the previous year, um, you know, it's, it's people get bored. Like they want to do something different and like say Donovan. Kling That's me. Had, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's totally fair. I mean, like, and, and you know, the last time this happened, it wasn't super long ago um, because we we're in the world we are in now with NIL and centers not being valued by the NBA. It was Oscar Shibwe. Yeah. But Oscar, Oscar Shibwe didn't play as well as he did when he won the national when he won the national player of the year. He was 
a sort of 75% version of that Oscar Sheway. He was hurt. Room. I mean, yeah. I mean, remember he had the knee brace on and Calipari's yeah. like, oh, he's fine, but he's not fine, you know? Right. But, and, <laughs> and then the whole conversation became about his defense and Kentucky right. was getting just destroyed on pick and rolls and Sheway couldn't play either side of a pick and roll, really. Um, you know, I, any of the coverages would just throw Kentucky's entire defense for a loop. Edie is actually now being discussed about his defensive improvement. And you're seeing like NBA scouts talk about, okay, well, it's a lottery pick now. Yeah. yeah, If this guy can actually move around on defense, then we've got like a potential NBA player here. Um, And so he's improved in that regard. He has done what he's basically done his entire career, which is get significantly better year on year, which is, you know, the dream scenario for a guy who starts playing basketball as late in life as he did. And he's better than he was last year. He's, he's just as efficient offensively, better defensively. He's a better passer. Um, you know, his block rate has gone way up. I mean, he's just, he's, he is, um, to me, he's kind of a lock right now, unless something really bad happens with injury or he just, he or Purdue fall off a, an inexplicable cliff, which is kind of hard to imagine. And the other part of it is there's no one really like, there are other good players in college basketball, but it's not like, you know, Hunter Dickinson is like tearing it up to the level where you're like, I don't know. And it's a neck and neck sort of thing here. It's just like, he doesn't have anybody, um, you know, he doesn't have his Adam Morrison to, to J.J. Reddick sort of thing happening. There's no one else playing at that high a level where, you you know, you could get a little race going, really. It feels like they're just putting a guy in at number two that kind of you're like, I guess that sounds good. Hunter Dickinson, Kyle Filipowski, like, you know what I mean? That feels yeah. like where we are right now. But I, I do think that there I have four guys that are actually the number two guys that are in the race. And I think it is just the race for number two, like you said. And uh, I, I'll decide on my vote, but I might get aggregated. We'll see what happens. But I think Jaden Ledee is in the race, yeah. San Diego State. I think Caleb Love is in the race at Arizona. I think Kevin McCullough is in the race at Kansas. I have him above Hunter Dickinson. I, I do think he's their best player. Um, and maybe I'm crazy to think that. Um, and then I think it's RJ Davis at North Carolina. And I think those are the guys that are in their own little quadrant, you know, to see who's the second, quote unquote, the second best player in the country. If Edie's going to sweep these awards as it looks like he is like that. I'm more fascinated now. If that's the case, let's see who number two is. And uh, maybe Filipowski does step it up in ACC play. And and now I can say he's he's one of those guys or Dickinson goes on a run or whatever. Dickinson's had some good games, but he's also had some frustrating <laughs> moments as well. Yes. Um, and I feel like McCullough is more solid, at least from my vantage point. And Tristan Newton, uh, I forgot Tristan Newton as well. He he should be um, in, in that conversation. But now we're just talking about the race for number two. Um, and that is not as fun as the race for National Player of the Year. So right. um, shout out to Zach Eady. He's making things happen. Shout out to you, Eamon Brennan. Can you plug all your stuff so people can find all your great work? Yeah. Uh, EamonBrennan.com is my newsletter. Um, and it's... Uh, kick me a few bucks a month and you get everything um, that I write, including Bubble Watch, which is starting now and should be a fun journey. Um, and yeah, you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever uh, at my name, Eamon Brennan. There you go. Uh, go support the right side of the Bubble Watch. Uh, we we <laughs> like that side. More art than science. More yes. art than science. Yes. So take, take, take the science out and let's enjoy the art of college basketball. And it's great stuff. Eamon Brennan, you're the best. Thanks for coming on the show and we'll have you back soon. And uh, who knows, maybe at that point we'll have another contender for National Player of the Year. We'll see. Maybe so. See you, man. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. There you have it. Eamon Brennan, the best. Appreciate him coming on. I also like to just pepper him with questions uh, as best as I can and uh, try to pick his brain while I can. And uh, shout out to him for doing the right version of the bubble. Um, I have had my own beast with the bubble boys, but Eamon Brennan has never been a bubble boy in his life. I don't even think he's even talked to a bubble boy. So um, that's just the facts of life. And uh, let's do some shout outs because there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in college basketball, to say the least. So we got to try to break it down as best we can. Uh, Kyle, I know that you saw um, all of the upsets in college basketball, so I, I hope that you were tuned in for that. But I hope you also saw our boy DJ Burns. Um, he did not win the game, but he did win the first half. And uh, he also had a great graphic in this game. This, of course, talking about DJ Burns of NC State. This is his quote from the game. He said, quote, I watched a lot of Hakeem Olajuwon growing up. Oh. I just happened. I just happened to end up with a Zach Randolph build. Um, so just <laughs> shout out to self awareness. Yeah, great quote. Uh, great guy, Beast Boy Burns. Uh, you know, not happy about the result of that game, but Carolina played great in that game. Actually, they didn't play great in that game. They just won a game that was tough in a tough environment. So um, love the second half. Love some moments from Elliot Cadeau on the rolls. Uh, to Is he the short? He's the shortest guy out there, right? Because I was getting yeah. uh, Sean Number Jones two. vibes from him. I know that makes you laugh when I say it, but uh, <laughs> he was just really fast. I was like, wow, he's just faster than whoever's in front of him. So that's cool. Nice change of pace. Uh, looks like a Carolina point guard. Can get to the basket on his own, a la Ty Lawson. That was my favorite thing about Ty. It's like, we just need an easy bucket. Ty just hits that extra gear, gets a layup, settles things down. That's what a Carolina point guard does. So they have that. Uh, with Elliot Cadeau. They also have some depth. Zayden High gave some good minutes, uh, about 90 seconds actually in this game that you love to see as far as the bigs. Um, and Jalen Washington came in, got some fouls. Um, Jalen Withers even gave some good minutes in this game. So North Carolina showing some depth. Shout out to them. Uh, the ACC showing no depth. Uh, a lot of a lot of issues at the ACC right now. Uh, but that's, uh, that's a conversation for another day. You had some games, Kyle, for this weekend that you want to rattle off to me and uh and and I'll let you know. We'll try to figure out if we want to watch these games and we'll do a little Just, TV guide here on OSP. Yeah, you know, I've got Bill Belichick about to be officially announced. He's out. My my season's over. There's playoffs. I just I want to know which games I can cut out of my diet here uh cuz a lot of these are pretty much all of them are on Saturday. Here's mm. the ones I wrote down. You tell me if any of these actually don't matter. I'm sure I'm biased when I say St. John's Creighton. Well, St. John's is shout first out to in the them. Big, yeah, shout out to them first in the Big East. And are they uh, first? I thought they were second behind. No, uh, I guess tied, they're tied. They're, they're tied, tied with for UConn first for conference. Yeah, yeah, they're tied for first. Uh, never forget it, America. Rick Pitino. They made the jokes. They counted him out. They wanted him to jump in the East River. 
Um, and he said, nay, I will be in first at some point during this Big East season. And that yeah. point is right now. So shout right, out to him. So that counts. And shout out to this. Uh, this I could just get this shout out of the way right now. It was just <laughs> a headline from the New York Post. St. John's deserves greater fan support after delivering yes. exactly what they wanted. It's basically just there. Whoever this is, is some New York Post guy accosting New Yorkers for not buying tickets to, uh, you know, either the Carneseca Center or... Uh, or MSG. I just like that we're we're scolding. The New York Post is is you know uh, roughly scolding uh, people of New York. I love it. I think I Rick, think he does deserve better. Rick's the best. He's got the he's got the media. I mean, everybody goes to New York and they're like, how am I going to deal with this media? Aaron Rodgers has given you a perfect example of how not to handle it. Even though I guess he's gone more national than New York, but <laughs> Rick Pitino's like, I want the New York Post. Like what does right. Jim Cunningham read? <laughs> yes. Uh, like what is yes. the what does the average New Yorker look up when they're looking at headlines? Exactly. They look at the New York Post, and uh, he owns the Post. So shout out to Patino. Yeah. So all right. So we got that one. I got Oklahoma Kansas. That probably matters, right? That's a good that game. Was, that's a given, right? Yeah. Oklahoma was number nine in the country. Uh, we'll see what they are uh, the following Monday after this week. Obviously, lost to TCU. TCU is a good basketball team. Team that probably should be ranked. Shout out to Jamie Dixon. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it's Kansas. We just have questions to see. Maybe this is a get right game for Oklahoma, but I think it's a get right game for Kansas. Uh, and that means Oklahoma might free fall in the uh, in the AP ranking. So uh, shout out to the Jayhawks. This is a good opportunity for them. OK, so there's one. Then we got Houston TCU. Yeah, Does we that like matter. That. There's like that's just recency bias. We should probably see what happens there. That's a perfect game um, because TCU, we're trying to see what level TCU is. Are they tier one in the Big 12? Like, are they actually a team? We saw it, you know, at Kansas. So if they can if they can take Houston out and uh, prove to the world that they are that level, then uh, that would be great to see. Houston is a really talented team. I think this is the first time we've seen the toughness of the dog park. Kyle Mann was texting us, texting us uh, <laughs> the other day about uh, identifying the dogs of each Big 12 team. We might do that on Monday. We'll see how I we, think we feel. To do that, but this is this is a dog park game. You know what I mean. This is. I feel a real if we don't do game. it, he's not going to send us ideas like that anymore. Too. So even if we don't, <laughs> I think we just have to do it. You know, you don't want to stifle the mad. creativity. He was very mad that we didn't answer immediately. Um, yeah, and, and so much that he followed up. I mean, group texts are tough. I mean, there's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm in like I'm like in 14 group texts with Kyle Man between because Bill creates like separate group yeah. texts. You know what I mean? With like three or four different people, and then right. you're like, what group am I in? But the OSP text is sacred. Um, I was playing golf, so I didn't answer it immediately. You know, didn't have great signal. That's right. I, I answered. You answered immediately. You got it going. Um, we'll do it on Monday. Uh, that's okay. on me. Tap the chest. My fault. My bad. All right. Uh, <laughs> and then I got Cincinnati Baylor. What do you think about that one? Great one. Uh, that is a Baylor, great one. God, Baylor first place in the Big 12 right now. Um, and also a team that we still have to figure out. If you look at the the Wooden Award Top 25, Jacoby Walters on that list. Um, I like Eves Missy, who's uh, the other freshman for Baylor. He's also a very fascinating player. I like their team. Um, and then Cincinnati is just figuring out the Big 12. You know what I mean? They got humbled a little bit um, in their last game, but also already have a big win against BYU in the Big 12. BYU right now struggling in the Big 12, 0-2. Um, they're getting welcomed to the dog park. But uh, yeah, that, that'll be a great game. we got to watch that one. Okay, and then the last one I have is Tennessee-Georgia. Am I going to, are none of these games droppable? If you had to drop one of these games, what would it be? 
Well, I mean, Georgia just beat Arkansas, which really doesn't mean much this year, but I still think Arkansas has some talent. We had Jay Williams. Shout out to Jay Williams, Kyle. During the broadcast, uh, basically uh, implied that Arkansas had quit on Eric Musselman, <laughs> uh, which is a... I, I like takes during games. You know what I mean? That's the world we live in now. You can't just like call a game as a color commentator. You have to give takes. Um, but yeah, so Georgia had a big win. I guess you could qualify. They're up there in the that. SEC too, right? I mean, they're, yeah, yeah. I have the, they're third. Watch in, that game. Two, yeah, okay. Give Mike White some respect. Yeah, if you no, had to you drop one it. game, would you it can't be that drop one? it. Don't drop it. Don't uh, you dare drop it. You can't drop it. Uh, you got to watch it. Um, and there's football. It's wild card weekend. So like, right. I literally, I will be watching these games on my iPad while I'm also watching football for through the Ringer, and uh, I'm gonna be on Ringer Wise Guys on Sunday. Um, shout out to JJ John Jastrzemski. Uh, Kyle and I are gonna play golf with John Jastrzemski on Friday. Um, so shout out to him. That's gonna be hilarious. And we're going to get some good that that's some good, uh, you know, company men, you know, stuff from us, by the way. Like we we have JJ coming to town. And we're like, come on out. We'll play some golf with you. Welcome you to L.A. Um, I'm patting ourselves on the back about that. That's very that that, that was a very good move uh, for the company. That's great. Isn't wise guys going to be like all in person? I think house is on a plane like now. I, and uh, I think it's all in person. Raheem's on the way. Uh, I have to be. I'm going to be at Spotify on Sunday. You should come to Spotify. Watch the game. Should I? Yeah, that would mm. be that would be even more company man move. You know what I mean? If you come and show up to that, because I would think Bill will be there. Right. Yeah, probably. Shout out to Bill Simmons. He'll probably be there. It's wild card weekend. Sal's going to be there. Sal's going to be cracking jokes. Yeah, I like Sal's jokes. All right. All right, I'm in. All right. Yeah, lock it in. There you go. Um, shout out to everybody out there that's listening. Are those all the games that you care about, Kyle? I think that's a good Those list. were my Saturdays. There was one on Sunday, but I think I'm just Biggie's bias at this point. And just mm. Georgetown, UConn, are, that's probably not going to go well for Georgetown, right? I mean, I don't know. That's the only. Shout, that's the only other one. <laughs> I mean, shout out to Georgetown. They should have beat Seton Hall, and uh, I do think Ed Cooley at some point is going to heat up. And I know that you know the haters out there don't want to hear that. There was a lot of aggregation going on. Uh, the Georgetown hoops team put out like a close affair um, against Seton Hall, and then all the Providence fans were like eating it up because you know there's all the rumors about affairs that were had. You know, we don't have to get into that, but you know, so. Ed Cooley, I think, like, as the tide is trying to turn on him, for whatever reason, he's going to figure it out. And Georgetown is the place to do it. And uh, personal story about Ed Cooley, one of my best friends who you know, Lance, uh, over Christmas break, his family is on their Christmas trip. And he sends me a picture of his dad, who is the man. Shout out to Courtney. And he's like, who is this guy? And it's a picture of Courtney. They live in D.C. Uh, his sister goes to Georgetown with Ed Cooley, like on this, like uh, whatever little hotel that they're at or whatever. And uh, apparently Ed Cooley's the man. So he looks like he looks like he looks like he was having a great time over Christmas, which makes me think Ed Cooley has a good future. You see dudes that are handsome that are play the quarterback position. You're like, it just looks right. It just for it, like it looks. <laughs> It looks like that. It looks like that way for me with uh, Shaheen Holloway too. Honestly, a lot of the big coach, a lot of the Big East coaches, they just seem like they're like this seems correct. I don't know. I don't know. It just but the, it passes the eye test. Shout out to Shaheen Holloway. Um, I had someone reach out to me from Seton Hall and uh, say that they appreciated what I said about Shaheen not getting the love, you know, that Dusty May and you know the Brad Stevens and Shaka Smarts have gotten, you know, when they had their magical runs, and they basically were saying that's. You know, you were right. You were kind of hitting the nail on the head about how Shaheen feels about the way he's discussed nationally. So I just want to say this on this program. We love Shaheen Holloway. And uh, what we're seeing right now, he's a dog. 
I mean, that guy is, uh, he's bringing the fight. Even, even in that Georgetown game, they had no business winning that game until like the last two minutes where they just kind of locked in and took over. And he was fired up. I mean, he's a fun coach to pull for. Very old Big East and uh, very New York point guard. You know what I mean? Just like mad. Just like, you yeah. know, like he's got like disgust when he's talking about like the opponent. And uh, I love that. So shout yeah, out to And you got to watch what you say to him, right? I mean, that's, we <laughs> yeah. know that. <laughs> yeah. He might bark back. Yeah. 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 He'll bark back. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, so, yeah. Shout out to him. Um, shout out to everybody out there listening to One Shining Podcast. We appreciate you. We're back. We're on a roll. Um, we're excited to have college basketball. We're excited for chaos. We're excited for the upsets. We're excited for this weekend. If you like NFL football, um, go join and tune in to all the Ringer covers this weekend. I will be a part of it. Hopefully, Kyle will be a part of it. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Um, but uh, it'll be a good time. So, uh, again, appreciate everybody tuning in. And we will see you on Monday with Kyle Mann. We're going to do the dog park uh, of the Big 12. <laughs> so, uh, if you have any ideas, please tweet it at us. So, we'll see you then. Thanks again to our friends at FanDuel. Must be 21 or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit CCP org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.